Hello and welcome to the Daddy Saturday podcast. I'm your host, Justin Batt. I'm also the founder and chief dad officer of Daddy Saturday and the Daddy Saturday Foundation. It is on this podcast that we bring you amazing information, parenting tips, hacks, even tactics that you can use to help raise good kids who become great adults. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast each week. We've got phenomenal guests coming up and today's guest is no different. I am so honored to have a friend, one of the smartest people I know, and an expert in public health policy and neuroscience on the show. Nicole Fisher is a senior policy advisor on Capitol Hill. She's an expert on healthcare innovation, economics, technology, and um, all things reform, especially as they impact vulnerable populations. So it'll tie right into our conversation around our youth today, children, and, and the fatherlessness population. Nicole is also a contributor to, to numerous magazines and publications, uh, most prominently Forbes being one of those. You can hear her talks found on the United Nations website. And something interesting about Nicole is she's actually finishing up her, her PhD or doctoral degree in public health at uh, the Tar Heels, the University of North Carolina. So Nicole, so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, such a pleasure. You know, it's been a while since we've seen each other. I think we were last together at the Lee Steinberg Super Bowl party um, in Atlanta, <laughs> which you graciously invited myself, and I was able to bring two of my boys uh, with me. And it is a an experience, Nicole. They will never forget. They were uh, starstruck and wide eyed the entire time, as was I, uh, just with all That's the great. great people they were getting to meet and some great content, which we'll get to later on here in the conversation. So good to have you here again and have a chance to speak with you. Sure, thank you. Uh, and it is nice to talk to you again. It has been since uh, the Super Bowl. Well, Nicole, as we look at some of the more prominent public health issues that are impacting our society here in the U.S. today, you've got a, a really uh, deep knowledge of that space. And as you think about the impact of the breakdown of the family, and specifically the fatherlessness epidemic. Um, what are you hearing, or what are some of the, the core themes that, that you see as those impact uh, the, some of the public health crises that we have today? Sure. Well, you know, unfortunately, we're not hearing enough about it. Um, and so you ask what I'm hearing, and the problem is too little, uh, to mm. be honest. Uh, so one way that I like to look at things, and sometimes here in D.C., we, we say the phrase and we say health in all policies. And what that means is uh, a lot of us very much think that your health is everything. It is your context. It is where you live. It's what you eat. It's the people you're around. It's how you get places. And so uh, when you think about it that way, um, an issue like fatherlessness, you know, that's your home, that's your development, that's your security, your attachment. And so really, it impacts all policy, from transit to housing, food security, all those things are, are really tied up in uh, your core family. And, and so um, I think it's something that we should be talking about more often. So you mentioned several things, and it's a big problem, right? As we look at the public health crisis that we have today, there's a lot of components to the discourse. And you mentioned transportation and housing, and um, you know, there's there's a whole lot in that mix. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> is there any 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 data or anything that comes to the top of mind when you think about you know the impact of fatherlessness? Is there um, a certain area within public health that 
is most impacted? Well, I think, um, I mean, if you start when we're very young, I mentioned things like security, confidence. Um, you know, those things come out of those very basic developmental, uh, you know, years one through three. Uh, and so when we think about, you know, how our brains develop, the cognitive, motor skills, verbal development, all of those things have to do with our home life and those social emotional aspects. And so when it comes to making policies that, uh, you know, and public health, really is something we should be talking about is how to keep families together and how to, more importantly, keep fathers engaged, even if they don't live in the home, that engagement, that, that intellectual motor and physical development is absolutely necessary. And, and all of that is our public health because there are children. So that's really important, Nicole. I think you, you said something that's a student. It comes naturally to you. Most people don't know this, and that's there's two forms of fatherlessness, right? You've got the lack of a biological father in the home, which is one component. There's about 24 million kids in America today that um, have that experience, unfortunately. But there's also mm -hmm. the, the physically present father who's just emotionally absent. So he may be there, but he's not engaging with his kids, as you well mentioned. And I think both have effects and impact clearly mm -hmm. in their own right upon our children and, and they would absolutely be a vulnerable population because they're fully reliant upon their caretakers and you know as we see those children growing up and becoming adults and as you look at the impact um, you know there's research that's done by the CDC and the National Center for Fathering and you name it and it's shown that in fact you look at uh, poverty you look at childhood obesity mm -hmm. you look at um, depression, anxiety, suicidality, um, drug abuse, teenage pregnancy, all of those yes. go up when you look at um, a fatherless home. Um, and that's specifically looking at the, the first type of fatherlessness, but really that second type is probably, you know, it expands those even further. We just don't have a way to really measure it. Yes. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, which is why when I mention some of those bigger and broader things, I think that's where it gets caught up. Uh, and that's data that's near impossible to get because those impacts are felt, you know, in a ripple effect throughout all the policies that we're making. But yes, those things you specifically named, um, education levels, poverty, uh, very highly correlated uh, with, with having a father in the home. Or, as you mentioned, you know, either uh, emotionally present and or physically present. Yeah. And, and Nicole, I don't want to get into too much of a political conversation here because that's not what this is really about <laughs> at all. Right. But I think it's, it's fair to always talk about uh -oh. facts. And and, you know, the, the facts are that um, President Obama passed um, some legislation and created fatherhood.gov and did some great work specifically around fatherhood and trying to, to create some policy and some some public health moves to to drive the needle forward in that respect. And, and to my knowledge, I haven't seen President Trump or his administration do anything of that nature yet. Um, maybe you can offer some insight to the contrary or just maybe give your thoughts mm -hmm. around, um, you know, your feelings on why administration does or doesn't do certain things like this. I mean, it seems like an important topic, yet um, we're not seeing any movement from this current administration. Sure. Um, so I think what you said is correct. Uh, the Obama administration did talk about this and they did put forth some initiatives 
they also got the ball rolling on um, justice reform issues and things that are inherently tied into the fatherlessness crisis. Um, I wouldn't say the, the Trump administration isn't doing anything, um, but I think they're looking at it or coming at it in a different way. Uh, I do think it is less of a priority for them, but I think the way they're approaching it is through um, family-focused initiatives as opposed to specifically targeting the father male population. Um, and so they have put forth a lot of things in um, some of their, I'm having to <laughs> walk a very fine line here. Uh, I, some of the policies they put forth that have to do with even things like religious freedom, uh, those at their core are targeting the family and keeping family units together, incentivizing families uh, to live in the same home. And so I think uh, it's not that they've uh, ignored the, the problem at all, but I think they've approached it in a different way. Well, it's not every day that I have an expert in, in public health and policy like you on the show. So I had to ask the question and I appreciate your insight. Right. And, you know, <laughs> hey, look, my goal is that maybe we can work together and uh, eventually Trump will pass legislation and declare uh, Daddy Saturday an official Saturday, one time a year, where we can all focus on fathers being intentional and engaged with their kids. So that would be an amazing. That would be great. We could work on. Yeah, it. that would that would be excellent. Uh, let me know. Let me know how I can help move that forward. <laughs> there you go. Well, wonderful. So Nicole, I'd love to, ch to transition the conversation a little bit. That's that's kind of big picture and broad. And I had to ask some of those questions just because, again, I, I rarely get an expert with your knowledge on the show in such a unique space, but. As I think more about your um, your doctorate you're, you're now pursuing at, uh, at UNC, which good luck to your Tar Heels versus the the Gamecocks <laughs> this upcoming right? weekend. Yeah, I'm a Clemson guy, <laughs> so you know I want to see uh, right. Carolina defeated any, no matter who they play. Um, and you all got a good new coach in Mac Brown, so that'll be interesting to see what. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm excited. But going back to the the question, so as you think about the 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 brain health of our children. Um, I know when we were mm -hmm. at the Super Bowl, you held the Brain Health Summit, which is a nonprofit that you're also very involved in and run and founded. And um, when you think about that, um, what are your thoughts around um, brain health as it relates to uh, children and sports? I know that was a big topic that came up at the summit. And there's a yeah. lot of um, you know, with CTE and all of this speculation and swirling around mm -hmm. around what the what the discourse is. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? What are you hearing from the experts in, in that area? And what was maybe some of the core themes that came out of the summit? Well, I appreciate that question, and it's so amazing. Uh, first of all, that you were able to come and bring your boys, but that we have this opportunity at all. Uh, and so, as we talk about, you know. Um, fathers and things of that nature there's also mentors right and one of the mentors i have and it's by accident i ended up with him in my life is lee steinberg which is how we ended up uh, at the super bowl at all and what he did is uh, allowed me <laughs> he gave me free reign uh, to build a brain health summit in tandem with his party and so it's not something people think about when they head to the super bowl on a saturday afternoon you know the day before the game uh, to, to think about public health uh, social good, and in particular, brains and brain injuries. And so we try to make it um, 
a lay person sort of conversation where everyone can join in. And we try to focus often uh, on kids and development. And so getting to your question, um, you know, I think one of the things that makes that summit unique is we insert a public health, brain health conversation into a violent sport and the celebration of that sport during, during that weekend in particular. And part of the reason is because, you know, there's a big difference between children and adults. And the brain, the frontal lobe in particular, isn't done developing until our mid-20s. And that's where we make complex decisions. Uh, that's where our emotional stability is. Uh, so that last thing to finish developing is really, I would argue, our most important. It's our decision-making. And because of that, you know, what we do as children highly impacts and shapes, you know, who we are as adults and how we behave. And so, uh, you know, I have no problem with grown men running off and doing whatever they want. It's different for children. And I think sport is very important to childhood development. I think there's so much to be gained from sport, leadership skills, teamwork, uh, again, the social emotional aspects. Uh, at the same time, you know, are we doing uh, the best we can in a hundred degree heat with two a days running helmet to helmet? Probably not. <laughs> so uh, I think sport are an inherent part of growing up and certainly American culture. So I don't see it going anywhere, but I do think evolution is necessary. Uh, and so what I would say to parents is you know, just be smart. If we don't let children vote, you know, speaking of politics, until a certain age, if we don't let them go to war, if we don't let them drive a car or consume alcohol until a certain age because we don't think their brains are developed enough to make good decisions, or be responsible, then, you know, why are we doing things that allow that uh, to get even more complicated and potentially injure them? So I think, um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a direct answer <laughs> to your question, uh, but I think it'd be silly to say that sports is going to go away, even, you know, violent sports. And in fact, it's growing. Every Sunday, more people watch, more countries are picking up our version of football. But I just think with time and data and, you know, just being smart that the, the sport will evolve. And I think there's a lot parents can do to keep their children safe. And, you know, that said, I do have to acknowledge that uh, football in particular is safer now than it has ever been. So we are making progress. Well, I think you're, you bring up several great points in that, in that whole discourse. And a lot of it is around, as parents, you mentioned, it's our responsibility as parents to make decisions for our children until they're ready to make decisions for themselves. And so to your point, during those phases where the brain is developing, um, it's our job as parents to make sure our kids are in the safest situation. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, and you may have been the same, like we didn't wear bike helmets anywhere, right? Bike helmets weren't like <laughs> thing. Um, you just didn't do that. But but it's evolved now. And we now see the importance mm -hmm. of wearing bike helmets because, you know, and I told my kids this the other day, I have four kids and three of them are boys. And, you know, they are on scooters and bikes and building ramps and playing every sport known to man. And I told them, I said, guys, you know, if you fall off your bike, and you fall, 
and you break an arm or break a leg or an ankle or, or need stitches, like all that stuff can be repaired and it will heal and it will be damaging, but we can get past that. If you fall and you damage your brain, like the consequences of that, some, sometimes it's irreparable. And mm-hmm. you know, the importance of understanding that is so critical. And I think as parents, it's, why is it any different in having that conversation in our front yard when they're riding their bikes or scooters? And mm-hmm. why does that change when they go and put a football helmet on, right? Or lacrosse helmet or anything else, hockey helmet, or you have violent yeah. contact in the sport. And so I, I think that as parents, we just need to make sure that we're having those conversations with our kids. And I think the other thing you said that's really important, Nicole, is just that awareness, right? So if, you're, if your child gets into a violent collision in sport and they seem to have a concussion, then the, the protocols and the importance of making sure you follow through and that the brain's allowed to heal, I think that's the one thing I pulled out of that summit that was really important mm. is that, you know, it's, you've got to stay on top of the, the healing process and when is it safe to yeah. return to play because that's the other thing that's really critical and has evolved. And in addition uh, to return to play, there's also a lot of focus, and I hope to talk about it this coming year at the Super Bowl in Miami uh, with mental health. There's a, a return to learn, and you know if there is an injury, uh, sometimes things, it can affect everything from vision to just processing headaches. You know, it, it, it's different in everyone. The brain is you know an organ, and uh, it's not just you know, stay still for a couple of days and, and get back out there. Uh, it depends. Some kids are fine, you know, with balance. Others have trouble reading, uh, vice versa. So, you know, return to learn and return to play are individual and they should be taken slowly. And, you know, if kids say they feel a certain way, uh, you know, I think parents really need to listen because pushing them too fast, too soon uh, it's no different, like I said, than any other organ, muscle. You know, you, you put them back out there on a bad knee, and the chances of them hurting the knee again are greater, and you could do more damage. So, uh, you know, just make sure that you think about just because you can't see the brain doesn't mean you should be thinking about it any differently than any other thing you can't see that could be injured. You know, a calf muscle, a knee, a quad, shoulder, it's the same. Return to learn. I love that. Um, I hope that becomes a, a more acknowledged campaign because as <laughs> someone who suffered multiple concussions playing football in my youth, um, I can absolutely say, you know, it was how fast can I get back on the field because I was that stubborn mm-hmm. teacher. But there were absolutely times <laughs> I can remember being in the classroom and, you know, I, I didn't feel the same, right? And um, mm-hmm. there absolutely were additional issues that that came about so I love that return to learn that's great I hope we do hear more about that uh, in Miami and that becomes more of a an acknowledged campaign and, and that's the importance of having a a team if you will around your kids parents coaches physicians trainer staff teachers even right so that the, the entire mm-hmm. individual is taken into account um, so I love that exactly. return to play and return to learn there you go <laughs> yeah uh, and it's very important especially because kids uh, in particular, you know, are not good sometimes at explaining what's wrong, uh, whether it's because they don't have the full verbal language or because they don't fully understand, right? And especially young, you know, adolescents, they're, they're already going through so much with hormones and everything else. Being able to articulate uh, what they're feeling in their brain 
is, is pretty much impossible. So it's really on parents to, to do their job, be parents and pay attention. You, you know when there are even slight behavior changes, or you should, and, and that's really important. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think there's a, a fine line to walk in there, and it comes down to taking care of your child first and foremost. So you know what's interesting, Nicole, what you just said, and, and I've had, in, in all the podcasts I've, I've done, there's a recurrent theme that comes up a lot, and I see people that are, are really doing well as parents. One of the core commonalities that they have is that they're very observant of their kids, and that they learn about their kids, and their kids are constantly evolving, right, as their brains are growing too, and they're changing in their personalities, and, and puberty, and hormones, and all those things, like your kids are constantly evolving, the parents that are really doing well that I see, they know their kids. They're constantly observing them, learning about them, trying to understand them, what motivates them. And what you just mm -hmm. said is so critical because if you, don't, if you don't have that baseline, then how do you know mm -hmm. if it's a change, right? Because to your point, if they're not able to articulate that very well or if they're like, like I was, stubborn and wouldn't say anything because I knew that would mean that I couldn't play football and <laughs> stupidly, but... Um, you know, that as a parent, it's so important to understand and to observe and to learn your kids so that you have that baseline to, to work from in the beginning. Yeah, and I think that gets back to, I mean, the whole reason we're, we're having this conversation and doing this podcast, right? Uh, there are you know, responsibilities that go along with being a parent. And especially if you have a boy playing sport, uh, you know, having a father as a role model um, or a mentor, someone who can talk to you, you know, because there are times when you do need to get back out there, right? Building resiliency is something that is so important. And yet there are times when there's really something that's a little bit off and, and we need to pay attention to that. And you won't necessarily know what that difference is unless you've been paying attention and you've been engaged and so one of the first things you said, you know, there's a big difference um, in the kinds of fatherlessness that we have. And in some cases, it's people who are not engaged at all. Uh, they're not in the home. They're not living there. And then other times, there are people who are fully physically present, but, you know, they may overlap for an hour at, at night uh, or in the morning, and, and that's it. And so they won't notice a lot of those nuances in um, behavior problems. And uh, that can lead to lots of the public health issues that we, we talked about earlier. It all comes back to intentionality and being engaged, Nicole. <laughs> it always does. So uh, I thank you for your wisdom. You have such a, a great viewpoint and vantage point on, on public health and what's going on in our society. And, and I just appreciate your, your knowledge and, and wisdom here. Uh, I have two final questions for you. So mm -hmm. one's more of a fun question. I asked this of all of our a guest on the podcast, and that is if Nicole had a boat, and I'm talking like a big boat, one that's big enough you'd put a name on the back of it, um, what would okay. you name your boat, Nicole? Uh, that is such a random question. Um, I would say something that has to do with like not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> like once I once I set sail, I don't want to come back. <laughs> sail away. Uh, sail away. Yeah, something like that. Like out of office for good. Just go. 
I'm done. I like that one. That's a good one. I'm sure that is a boat name, at least in one or two big marinas somewhere out of office. That's great. Yeah, Um, that's really funny. And then the final question is, as you just think about um, um, anything you'd want to leave our listeners with. So is there anything either from this conversation or that that we didn't get to cover that you just want to share um, in in your closing remarks? Uh, Please do so. And then I'd love it if you could tell our listeners after you you state that where they can find you or find more about mm-hmm. um, health and human rights strategies. Awesome. Um, well, you know, the last thing I would say actually gets back to sort of the very first answer that I gave uh, when you asked broadly about public health. And that is uh, just always remember to take a step back. It's really easy to get caught up in the day to day and be focused on, you know, the trees right in front of you, but there's a forest out there and uh, as you think about your children, you think about all things, you know, from what they eat uh, to, like I said, where they live, where they go to the school, how they get to and from that school. Uh, it's not just the logistic task-oriented things, which can just consume your day. <laughs> Do they feel safe and secure? Do they engage, you know, their peers in certain ways? Do they have a sense of self? Um, do they stand up for themselves? And, and, you know, a lot of that can, we can find a lot of those issues um, somewhere in their day-to-day, which we see as logistics. You know, it could be that they are bullied on their way to school and their mental health is suffering, but they don't want to talk to you about it, right? So you just take a step back, look at the big picture. Are we feeding them enough? Are they getting the right nutrients for their brain to develop correctly? All those kinds of things matter and, uh, you know, more than anything, children knowing that they've got unconditional love and support uh, from their family is really the, the best way to help any and all development. Um, that's the ultimate safety and security. And so how to find me? Well, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. Um, most things are as Nick and I see Fisher. Um, a lot of people, my name is Nicole, but call me Nick. And Health and Human Rights Strategies, pretty simple, healthandhumanrightsstrategies.com. It's also our you know, uh, Instagram, Twitter, everything else. And we just started a YouTube channel. And so every week or two, I do my best uh, to get with people on my team and we source our social media. We send, uh, or we, we look at all the questions that have been sent to us. We pick a couple. And then I do my best to sit down for like no more than five minutes uh, <laughs> and try to talk through in a non-biased, non-partisan way what's out there. Uh, so send us questions because, yeah, there's no way for us to help educate about public health um, better than to know what your questions are. And no question is too silly. Well, thank you for that. I, I hope that some of our listeners will take advantage of it and, and maybe some of the, the conversation here will spark additional questions and they'll have you be able to answer yeah. live on your YouTube channel. So I feel- I would love to do that. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to write about and talk about um, dad. That, I think that'd be a pretty cool angle. So yeah, send me questions. Yeah, for sure. And I feel your pain, by the way. I'm launching my own, um, I'm calling it training camp. And it'll be a, like a Monday press conference. Like I'm a coach, right? Talking about my, my daddy Saturday and the, and the week before. And That's cute. And core topics. And so- uh, I'm right there trying to, to do the video production, and um, it's a it's a blessing and a burden at the same time. 
Very clever. I like it. I like it. Well, be sure to send that to me as well, and, and we'll get all that stuff shared publicly. Yeah, great. Nicole, thank you so much. A pleasure as always. Thank you, Justin. To you. Yeah, of course. Uh, for those of you listening, remember, be intentional, be engaged, make it a great Daddy Saturday, and raise good kids who become great adults. Until next time.